0: We're here. It's Don Chens. The Wolf Mentality Podcast. It's pretty damn lit. Oh, long wolf. Yeah. Into
1: the night I cry. And what up, wolves? It's Don Chens. You're listening to Wolf Mentality. I have an Awesome interview about to come up. And I'm going to, I already feel bad because I know I'm going to screw up his name, Abton Maserataga. I'm I, like, that's wrong. That's not how you say it. He says it right. I couldn't figure it out. So I apologize to him, but shouts out to Abton for doing it because it was a really fun interview. Um, I told him, and this is a little selfish, but what probably my favorite, no knock on any of the guests I've had uh, so far, because I've loved everyone so far. But I think I learned, this is the most I learned in a single interview or conversation I've had on the podcast. Uh, Abton is a like a social media marketing guru. He's a digital marketing uh, consultant. He has his own company, Northern Mo, that's Northern with no E, so N-O-R-T-H-R-N, which is based out of Toronto. It's a digital and social media advertising company. He's a digital marketing consultant himself. He kind of fell into it at a young age. Uh, as a teenager and he's having a lot of success he was pulling in tens of thousands of dollars you know doing that on his own working with brands and companies um, and influencers all over he works he's worked with artists in the past but he's has a wealth of knowledge and the number one thing number one takeaway i have out of it which you'll hear me you know freaking out about kind of during the conversation is very observant person and kind of my biggest takeaway is to be present and observant of what's going on around you a lot of people have you know we were talking about people have cookie cutter ways of going about things. This is my way. And they're so focused on doing things a certain way that they're not paying attention to what's going on. And if you do, you'll probably pick up on something that'll help you do better at, you know, whatever you're trying to do. So I thought this conversation was super helpful for me. Um, I think it'll be helpful for a lot of people, you know, if you're a musical artist, entrepreneur, even, even if you just want to get more likes on your Instagram, honestly, I think this conversation is super helpful. Thanks to Abton. You know, he's, He's been featured on Forbes, Entrepreneur, Inc.com, Inc. Mag, like all these things. So, you know, he's very well respected in this industry and you could definitely tell from the wealth of knowledge that he has. Uh, So I'll let the interview speak for itself. So here's Apton. I think we're on. I think. I think. Yep. (laughs) What up, Wolves? Don Chenz and I have another guest and we already we were we spent 5 minutes trying to see if I can figure out his name and we were, we came to the conclusion that I'm going to screw it up and I'm just going to let him correct me. So, I am here with Abton All right, let's try this. Abtin Masra Masrataga. I know that's wrong, but that's my best shot. How do I say it right?
0: <laughs> so, yeah, my name is uh, Abton Masrataga.
1: Abton, however, he just said his last name. He's a digital marketing consultant <laughs> and he's the founder and CEO of Northern Mo which is a, he's based out of Toronto and he owns a digital and social media um, advertising company. So I guess we're going to do the story and go back and forth and go up to the current agency or the current company, but give me a quick breakdown of Northern Mo, Like what, explain the company however you can.
0: Yeah. So uh, Northern has been around since, uh, oh God, I don't know, almost like 10 years. Uh, we've done about uh, 35 million follower growth for our own pages as well as our clients. Uh, like our fastest growing client has gained about uh, just over half a million followers in the last 11 months. Uh, we've done about just over a hundred million dollars in sales for e-commerce for our clients. So like our peak client was doing about $30 million a year. Um, and we also work with a bunch of different, uh, musicians now. So we've done about like 10 million streams for them so far.
1: All right. So uh, lots, lots of success and lots of big numbers, lots of big numbers that I have yet to attain. Maybe you can help me by the end of this podcast. <laughs> Uh, you'll give me tips that I'll I'll be like the biggest podcaster uh, next since Joe Rogan. It'll be me and Joe uh, Rogan I mean, at the top of the chart.
0: <laughs> you guys will be competing with very similar voices. and we'll we'll make sure you take over. Right.
1: Oh yeah, that's true. You did you did make a comment that I sound like him. Yeah, I forgot you said that. I have done that a few <laughs> times, and I always say that's a good person to be compared to if you're a podcasting. So, hundred yeah. percent. All right. So I would say let's start at the beginning, and we'll get up to present day. So you got to you got into the you know, the social media and digital marketing side, because you started out as kind of uh, an influencer yourself, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. On, so, a, on YouTube, is that the way you started yeah. off?
0: Yeah, yeah, so um, when I was 12 years old, all my friends had an allowance of like 20, 30 bucks a month, and my parents were like, nope, so I was like, shit, how can I make any money? Uh, no one's going to hire me because uh, job hiring is 16 in Toronto, um, and I was 12, right? So I was like, fuck it, let's go to the internet, the only person that's going to hire me started doing youtube and this is when like the iphone and ipod first came out so i was just kind of like uh i was just messing around and i found out how to jailbreak iphones which is kind of like how to uh how to hack them and like just do really cool shit with them like yeah what does that mean when
1: you jailbreak it like people always say that and i'm never always like positive (laughs) like say i jail like people say they jailbreak everything they jailbreak roku's and stuff like that but like if i jailbreak an iphone what does that even do
0: so when you jailbreak an iphone it basically turns it almost like into an android but um you can get like any app store apps that you typically pay for for free. You can like change the way the icons look. You can like literally speed up the time it takes to boot your phone and just do all this crazy shit with it. So uh, the main purpose of it was to uh, basically get apps for free, which is what I was showing everybody how to do, uh, right? So I was doing it on YouTube for a little bit. This is when, like, iOS 1 and 2 was a thing. So, like, now we're on iOS 13. Everybody has all this crazy shit. We never had any of that back in iOS 1. So, like, um, the way how you can make your iPhone dark mode, like, you can do that until, like, this year. But I was able to do that, like, five, six years ago um, with a jailbroken iPhone. So kind of started off on doing that on YouTube. I amassed, like, uh, five 6,000 subscribers by the time I was 13. I was making, like, a couple hundred bucks a month um and I was like shit this is pretty dope if I can make money here I can probably uh, make money elsewhere so kind of kind of got to high school and people started seeing my phone they're like how do you have those apps that you that cost like 10 20 bucks and like we're all in the ninth grade so nobody has any money um and I'm like yeah Joe broke my iPhone got it all for free and they're like yo can you do that for me and I was like yo 10 bucks so my school has about like 3,000 kids in it and I did about they had iPhones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I did about 500 in the first week and I came home with 5 grand in cash and my parents grounded me because they thought I was a
1: drug dealer. Uh that, that is <laughs> that is drug dealer money. Wait wait so how how yeah. many YouTube subscribers did you have you said? About like five thousand. And what so kind of like, what kind of content were you making? Like were you literally just making videos on how to jailbreak iPhones or was there Yeah, a...
0: yeah. It was literally just how to jailbreak your phone, um, how to get a certain theme. Because like now it's a lot easier where you just plug your phone in, you hit a button and it jailbreaks. But before I had to like actually like do a bunch of little code and shit, and look like I was in the Matrix. so Everybody and, like, in like ninth grade was like stupid impressed. They're like, this guy's a fucking hacker.
1: Dude, that's like um, everything. If you do, if people don't understand what you're doing, if you just make it seem like it's really complicated, even if it's super easy or something, people are like, oh my god, that's so nuts. Like, like for like, for, like yeah. this podcast, I can make it seem like way harder than it is. Everyone's like, damn, like that's so crazy that you know how to do that. But it's like, yeah, really, all I'm doing is hitting a button and turning a knob. You know what I mean? Exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's, there was at one point where it was like I think when I was in the tenth grade, um, I'd, I'd run the program and it just runs a shit ton of code on the screen, and I'm just sitting there pretending to tap keys. I'm like, oh my, <laughs> God, this is crazy, right? So I'm still paying ten bucks. Um, like throw
1: the glass really on cool your typing. Thing, yeah,
0: exactly. The really cool thing was um, every time the iOS got an update, so it went from one to two to three or something like that, you'd have to do a new jailbreak on it, so they'd come back after the upgrade, and I'd be like, yo, another ten bucks, let me jailbreak it again. So I kind of got like reoccurring people every like six to 12 months when there was an update um so I was just able to make a ton of money really quick and then what didn't help was um this is when Beats by Dre was first starting to pop off so they sent me a few headphones to give away on my website so when I came home with 5k in cash and like five pairs of Beats by Dre's my parents were like what the hell are you doing <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wait, so were you trying to like when you're making these YouTube videos were you trying to build an audience like what was your like were you like making an effort outside of just putting the videos on YouTube to build a following or did it just happen just from you putting those videos up?
0: No. So it was like those videos were in such like high demand that I would be like, the, like every time a new update came out, I would just be like the first to drop a video and it would just come up really high on the organic search. So like my top video, I think I had like 700,000 views within like two days because like everybody who did know about it was trying to figure it out
1: right away. Right. And however far back that was like, like now 700,000 is still a lot, but whatever year it was when you were doing that that was it was 700,000 was way more
0: yeah, yeah like back then that was like what 2007 2008 so yeah that's right? a like lot a, like, bucks in that, like one day and I was like this is crazy yeah
1: okay so you were you were a not drug dealer in, in high school making money off your <laughs> uh fellow students classmates
0: Exactly. Um, exactly.
1: and then so where to go from there so I guess like the light bulb went off that you were doing, you were you know, making money from it. So I guess that's how it got yeah. started where you started to nosedive into the entrepreneurial stuff, but where to go from? Yeah. There?
0: So really funny thing was I was, I was a D student from the ninth through the 11th grade. Um, just cause I was too busy trying to make money on the internet, trying to make money, um, jailbreaking these iPods and doing all this crazy stuff. So what it kind of progressed to was like, if I can make money on YouTube, I could probably make money elsewhere on the internet. So in 2009 I was in the ninth grade and that's when uh, Twitter came out. So kind of moved over to twitter and i started to game it a little by like a little bit and i figured out that you could gain um well i found a method that would let me gain a hundred thousand followers every two or three months um they weren't necessarily like active followers because we we're doing like follow trains and whatnot but um i would grow an account like to two to 100k or 200k within two to three months and then somebody would reach out to me uh, like big news outlets and stuff and they'd be like hey we want to buy your account and i'd be like I am mean, in ninth grade, I'm like, sure, why not? They'd pay me like three or four grand for it. And I was like, it's like a million holy dollars. shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, I was, I was turning up buying like chicken wings for my friends and buying myself like sneakers. And I was like, this is it, the average. Um, so I would just keep pumping these accounts out. I'd build them and sell them, build them and sell them. And then I remember when I got to about the uh, 10th or 11th grade, I got reached out to by a couple of people. And they're like, hey, we see that you keep building these accounts, your email's on it and your email disappears. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just selling them. But like, yo, hold on to them. We want to buy posts off of you. And I was like, okay, cool. Why not? So I started to sell these posts to people and then um, started holding on to the account. So instead of selling them, I was just building myself like this massive network of accounts. Um, and then I slowly started to meet other people. And we started to like, uh, like if you owned a big account and I owned a big account, we'd like come together and kind of collaborate um, and like kind of work together to build the accounts even further. So as time went on, people started to um, think i buying posts from me um, and I kind of get a feel of like this kind of a post will do really well on an ad style and this kind of a post won't because of the frequency at which they're buying it at so when something new came to me I'd be like hey you should rearrange your ad to kind of look like this it'll perform better and they're like oh shit you know what you're talking about do you want to make our campaigns and run the campaigns so when I was 15 I accidentally fell into consulting um, and I started building <laughs> campaigns
1: for people did people know you were 15? <laughs>
0: uh, no people had no idea so on my <laughs> Skype account i spoke to everybody on there's a little photo of a wolf and that was all you saw and people were paying me to like my friends paypal accounts my parents paypal accounts and whatnot so i was just kind of running it while i was in school and i would respond to people and i didn't even have a phone until like the 11th grade i just had an ipod touch so i'm responding to people in class on my ipod touch whenever i could find wi-fi or i'd tell my friends to like hotspot me just so i could message people back um so this one dude ended up uh when i was 16 so in, in the 11th grade he was like, "Yo, I want you to come and lead my marketing team. We were, we've been working together for like 8 months at the time." He's like, "I want to move you to Connecticut." I'm like, "Yo, I can't." He's like, "Why not?" I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, "I just can't." He's like, "Is it a wife? Is it kids? Bring them with you." I'm like, "No, no, no, it's not that." And He's like, "Do you need a place to stay? Do you need a car? I have a condo for you. I have a car for you." And I'm like, "No, no, no. I'm actually like 16, 17 years old. <laughs> no, I'm he's actually like,
1: a child." <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Um, and I hop on a video call with him and he's just like, "This is you." I'm like, yeah he's just like this is fucking stupid i'm like yeah he's like can you keep doing what you're doing i'm like yeah he's like let's keep doing this i'm like okay
1: that's really fun also for people listening if you haven't picked up on that yet um you were saying you were building the twitter accounts and uh Mm -hmm. like doing like the trading followings and posts and stuff like that because that's similar to john's story so like that's how we got connected was through john so you guys were like working together for a little bit
0: yeah. Yeah. So it's like, um, I was kind of one of the original people in the community back in 2009. And I kind of like, I would find people who had big accounts and be like, yo, you should come join a little like group. And like, we'd all be like discussing things. Um, and it got like pretty crazy. We we're all like talking about a bunch of stuff and like trying to build out like different things online. Cause it's like, obviously like social media accounts are dope, but like you don't own them at the end of the day, like Twitter owns them or Instagram owns them. They can kind of shut them down whenever they want.
1: Yeah. Um, so we've seen we started- that more now than you used to, like they'll just, Oh, you know, yeah. take your account.
0: Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, especially all the meme page owners on Instagram are like, your favorite meme pages are slowly starting to disappear because Instagram just like, and you're not supposed to be selling um, these posts on these accounts. Um, at the end of the day, it goes against terms of service. So it's totally fair that the uh, platforms are taking them
1: down. No, they, they, they don't want you to make money. They want to make the money. Like They don't want the people exactly. using it to make money and they're just sitting there like, oh, okay, like whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So it's like uh, over the course of like a decade basically from when I was like, 12 through like 23. And I'm like 25 now. Um, we just kept bringing more people into this group and we found people who ran like Instagram accounts, people who ran Snapchat accounts and like so on and so forth. And we just made this like powerhouse of a thing. And like, it still exists, but it's like so many people have lost so many accounts that it's not as powerful as it used to be, but we still have the ability to make like anything go viral given a decent budget. Um,
1: so when you were saying before how you kind of, you were like, Oh, I kind of accidentally fell into this at the age of 15 mm -hmm. and you were, people were asking you to run their campaigns because you knew what you were talking about. How did you learn what you were talking about? Because I mean, you were building the network Mm -hmm. um, and we can get into that, like how you were able to build that network or whatever, but how did you like, was it just through experience? Like how were you able to know more than the, you know, the people who were previously, you know, like other people were doing this marketing <laughs> yeah. stuff and you're doing way better than they are. How are you able to pick up on like what worked, what didn't, like, oh, you should be doing this. Like, how do you even figure that out in the first mm. place? Cause you know, someone like me, I'm trying and I can't figure it out. I'm not smart <laughs> enough. So I so, need this help.
0: Like, Let's say, let's say someone exactly like you, like, let's say you hired somebody in your marketing department and like, they came to like an influencer like me that ran a bunch of accounts and they were like, I want to buy a post for this. I'd be like, okay, dope. So I would literally just watch you buy from me over the course of two months And I'd see which posts you were buying multiple times. So it's like, you might've made like four different versions of an ad and you bought one like 10 times and the other ones like maybe once or twice. So I'm like, clearly the one you bought 10 times is working for you. So over the course of time, when we started, we were just driving traffic to websites, uh, that ran like articles and stuff. And we got into, um, e-commerce and then we got into, uh, apps. Then we got into music and I was kind of the guy who just would always be able to find the ads that worked. So I would be able to like just straight kind of like start replicating them to be like, um, to modify them for each client so if i found something that worked really well for e-commerce i'd be like cool let's just reword this for the other company now um, and kind of do very similar photography and whatnot um, and take it from there and it would, it would typically start to work or i'd be the guy who's perpetually testing new things as well until i found something that worked and then all these other guys are just everyone was perpetually watching me and people are still perpetually watching all the work i do now just to see what i'm doing so they can copy and paste it for their own shit now so that's kind of how we figured it out
1: Gotcha. Okay. And I mean, you're talking about people copying and pasting what you're doing, but you're also, I mean, you're, you're going around, I mean, you do speeches and, you know, talks and stuff like that. So you're giving people the knowledge anyway. So they're obviously going to take in and run with it too.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I get flown around the U S probably like once a month at this point to go to like conferences or, um, right now I'm working with like Canada's top business school to like help teach marketing at, uh, at the university soon. They're like slowly subbing me in to do like workshops and stuff. And I'm like mentoring a lot of people. So, it's, uh, it's pretty fun because, like, obviously, it's, like, the knowledge I have. I can drop a course online and charge, like, I don't know, like, a couple thousand dollars for it. But I'd rather um, – I'm really big on education should be free. So I'm kind of going to continue what I'm doing right now, um, which we'll get to probably later in the podcast. But I'm going to continue what I'm doing right now probably for the next, like, five to ten years and kind of uh, retire. And um, I want to build out a course that is completely for free, that teaches everything. Because, like, when I was a kid um, growing up, like – when i first got to youtube i was like sick i need to hire a videographer i don't i don't know how to do videography or i don't know how to edit um and i didn't have the money for it so i just kind of sat down went through youtube and taught myself went through google and taught myself and then it, it progressed to cool i need a graphic designer and i'm like I can't afford a kind of graphic designer let me teach myself photoshop and like illustrator and like uh, lightroom and whatnot so it all slowly progressed from there and then i got into learning websites and then i was like cool i can do uh, I can run my ads on my influencer accounts where I can go ahead and also learn Facebook ads and learn Snapchat ads and also other kind of stuff. So over the period of my life, I was just like, I've just kind of self taught myself everything that I don't need to outsource ever. Um, and it's all the, it's all the key stuff that people need. Cause now it's like so many people are working these jobs that they're making 50 to hundred K at and they're like, I love my job, but I'd rather be working on a passion project and running my own store and running my own online stuff and kind of like get gets you, lets you be free with your life. Right. So I have a lot of people who reach out to me from high school after they saw I got featured feature on like Forbes, Huffington Post and whatnot. And they're like, dude, like I love what you're doing. Even though in high school, they're like, this guy's a fucking dork for doing it. Um, <laughs> now they're kind of like, yo, like, can you help me? Like, I want to quit my job and I really want to do this. I have like 50 grand to spend. And I'm like, sure, let's sit down. Let's figure it out for you. Um, and the course I'm putting together teaches you Photoshop. It teaches you website editing. It teaches you uh, like how, how to go about the user journey and like it progresses kind of like a university program where when you get to the final year of it you can kind of decide okay I want to do e-commerce I want to like build my own app and how to make money off my own app or like I just want to make money off of my social media accounts and not have to do anything else because I've done all those things I've gone through like production of products all the way through fulfillment of products all the way through customer service and actually running the brand and like how to do all the actual finances and banking because nobody was ever there to teach me anything. And it's like, even now there's nobody teaching you these things. Like there's these courses that charge two grand um, that will teach you the basics of it, but they won't teach you like, this is where you fuck up and this is where you can literally like destroy your credit and like lose your entire life over it. So I'm trying to build something that's like all encompassing. And I'm like it through a, a few like students that have been begging me to mentor them. And as well as uh, uh, teaching it at like some local universities.
1: Yeah, the, the problem with those courses a lot of times is I feel like it's hard to know who you can trust for a course. Like I could see someone be like, "Oh, they seem successful," but you're buying the course before you know what you're going to get out of it. You know what I mean? So it's always yeah. hard to try and show how the value someone's going to extract from it before they actually you know see it firsthand. Yeah.
0: The the shittiest part of it all too is most of those courses they try to get you in for like a grand or like five hundred bucks, and then by the end of that course, they're like, "By the way, if you want to learn more shit, you got to pay." And they're just perpetually upselling you, which is why I'm like. I'm huge on education should be free and like I'm not one to be like I need a billion dollars. It's like once I have enough money and I retire in the next like five to ten years, I'm just going to build that course out and put it out completely for free.
1: So you think you're going to retire in five to ten years?
0: That's, that's probably the goal. So,
1: so Northern Moe doing that well? All right, so then we need to get more into that because I need, <laughs> I need to retire in five to ten years. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. All right, so you, you built a big – so you built a Twitter following and so how did you – and you were started – so you just started consulting for people on your own. I guess from there. So how'd it go from like how'd you scale to, you know, larger companies and brands that you started working with? And then how did it go from just you to, you know, becoming its own company and like just how'd you get to where you are now?
0: So um kind of by the end of high school, I was trying to manage like over twenty accounts on like different platforms all by myself and I was kinda like This is getting a little too hectic for me to do alone. Um, And also at the time, I was like graduating in 12th grade. I was going to university in Toronto and I was doing a a Bachelor of Science because I wanted to become a dentist. So I'm like, there's no way I can manage um, courses with all my labs, with like commuting an hour to school every single day back and forth um, entirely on my own. So I ended up hiring uh, my sister at the time. So I have a twin sister. I ended up hiring her. And then I hired uh, two of my other homies, one of the guys I met in like my first year chem class and one of my other homies i would known since the ninth grade who went to the University of Waterloo, which was about like two hours away from where I was. But I was like, hey guys, like all you really need is your cell phone. You can do this all while you study, while you're in class and I'll pay you pretty well for it too. And they're like, cool, I get paid, I get paid to just use my phone and be in class and like still do my regular things. Whereas most people are like trying to balance working four hours a night to pay for their school and whatnot, right? so they all really loved it and we kind of did that for the first like three years of university um and we managed the whole thing together continued to go through it um and i was kind of just i was giving them kind of more menial tasks where it wasn't too hard where i would handle all of the actual consulting the campaign building and then they would just kind of handle running it through all the accounts and the management of that um and then it slowly progressed past that where i got to my third year of university i was kind of like okay i want to like learn more skills so I started to speak to my friends that knew uh, Facebook ads and I started to speak to my friends that knew Snapchat ads and like um, website building and whatnot. So kind of sat down and I expanded my skills um, to learn all those other things. And as we continued to grow, when I got to my final year of university, we were just making like a stupid amount of money. So I was kind of like – graduated uh me and my family went to Europe just to kind of like uh celebrate me and my sister's graduation And I'll never forget I was sitting in um we we're sitting in Italy at like a dinner table and my mom's kind of like just speaking to me and my sister and she's like uh talking to my sister like oh what are you gonna do next and my sister's like oh I wanna she's doing her master's PhD in psychology now and my mom's like, kind of like asking her how she's gonna go through it um my mom turns to me and she's like "What are you gonna do your dental exam and I kind of like just looked at her and I'm like I'm not gonna do it I'm gonna keep running in the marketing company um and she was so pissed at first my dad's kind of like laughing on the side because he knows exactly what's happening because like he knew this was gonna happen and like how is how i was doing marketing um but my mom was definitely pissed um it's hard it's hard for
1: parents too because they don't like a lot of times your parents don't think that way like my mom's mm kind of had to bend a little bit to that too like she's not she never thought to do any kind of like entrepreneurial, creative stuff. So to her, you're kind of like, oh, like yeah. why would you want to do that? As opposed to like, yeah, becoming a dentist or being a lawyer, or, you know, something yeah. like that. So you got to kind of condition your parents to get used to that idea. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And I mean, when it first came out, they thought I was like a drug dealer in high school. So like, <laughs> they,
1: yeah, didn't start out on the right full, foot.
0: <laughs> exactly. So they still never fully like, and even to this day, it's like very hard to. I mean, like they understand like technology and the whole like social media, but. It's really hard to explain to them like security of the whole thing because it's like we as we grew as a company, we took on more things than just running the accounts like the accounts are making us a crap ton of money. Then we also started taking on clients on retainer to do uh, consulting to help them with their production of their products to uh, manage their websites and then to just run their ads on like Facebook and whatnot, which is a little a little safer because like uh, you don't really get your accounts banned too often. So when my parents were watching these accounts get banned, they're like, okay, they're like watching my income because, again, like my mom and me, like we do a bunch of like finances together because she's like huge in the financial world. Um, she'd watch like my income kind of like fluctuate every month and she's like, is this like really safe? Like, should you be putting your life into this type of thing? So, I mean, I can understand their concern, but that's just kind of like the life of an entrepreneur that you have to live.
1: Right, That that's just, I mean, that's the nature of it, you know? You It's not going to yeah. be consistent. It's You're going to have things happen that screw you up uh, it mm-hmm. depends on how hard you're working. You know, it's going to vary. It's you got to be comfortable yeah. with that if like, you're going to d- jump into it.
0: Yeah, like absolute full transparency. I think my peak year, I made like it was almost like four hundred thousand dollars when I was like sixteen and my family was kind of like what the fuck is going on
1: (laughs) yeah yeah dude I'd be if I was a parent and my kid my kid was like pulling in more money than me (laughs) in some way that I couldn't understand oh I'd be grilling him I'd be like yo what what drugs are you pushing (laughs) and then I would consider being like okay I'm gonna not let you do it maybe I'm gonna start doing it because I need that money (laughs) not you (laughs) you just little 16 year old
0: (laughs) exactly so they got like really concerned um when I turned 17 and 18 because they saw my income go from like 400 to like like 175 because that's when we had like a bunch of accounts banned and then like (laughs) then i started to like learn all the other skills to um to like do other things as well so when i started picking up the other skills it's like money starts coming back up and like you're doing a bunch of other things to bring money back up they're kind of like cool you're jumping all over the place like income wise over the years they're like is this really safe and i'm like i'm just gonna grind my ass off for the next like uh five to ten years build some like really cool projects so like we're working on something called the Dream Gala um, in Toronto which is going to be like a huge event that we're going to start on on March 8th uh, for an International Women's Day we have a bunch of like uh, female CEOs that are going to be coming in and they're just going to be telling us like their stories and stuff so I'm working on the Dream Gala I'm part of uh, another company called Bad Faith Records where we basically make, uh, artists pop off because we kind of broke Spotify's algorithm. Um, yeah, and-
1: we, we talked before, uh, we started recording, we talked a few days ago and you mentioned the Spotify thing. I have a lot of questions of, I have a lot of questions about that, <laughs> but we'll that we'll yeah, so in a second.
0: Something that we learned on Spotify. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, we we managed to break Spotify's algorithm. So, um, bad faith as a company, we're able to make, uh, artists get anywhere from like sixty thousand to uh our highest record off of one song, just on a really small budget of four K was three hundred and ninety thousand plays within are, the year.
1: Are you able to tell me like who what artists you've worked with or anything like that? Uh
0: yeah, I mean like we one of the really small artists we worked with was like uh Sabatino. He's one of my friends from my high school who came to me and he's like, yo, I got like four grand. Um I know if <laughs> he's like, I know if anybody can do this it's fucking you you he, he went to university and he studied music too. So Kind of came to me, sat down, and we uh, managed to help him pop off. Uh, We've worked with, like, Nicky Romero in the past. That was, like, one of my favorite artists to ever work with. And he's, like, really big in the EDM world. Um, And we managed to break Billboard's algorithm, where he was, like, in the top 50 and we got into, like, the top, like, 12. And that was, like, way back. That was, like, when – that was actually when I was in Europe with my parents. Um, So probably, like, uh, maybe, like, four years ago. So what what Uh, do you mean by
1: breaking an algorithm? Like, when you say, I I broke Spotify's, I broke mm -hmm. Billboard's, like, what does that even mean?
0: Yeah, so it's like everything that isn't in a chronological order kind of has an algorithm to it. So uh, the same way with Instagram, it's like you make a post and it's like how do you beat the algorithm to be placed at the top of the feed and get seen by more people. One of my favorite things to do and one of the things I'm most known for when I travel and I give these talks is kind of like how you can break those things and beat those things. So um, on Instagram, for example, uh, every time you make a post, you got to fight what the other 500 people that people follow that I'm is not super
1: anti Instagram algorithm. Yeah. If, if you ever listen to the podcast, <laughs> i probably complain about that w- at least once every other episode about that oh, yeah. no, algorithm.
0: It's full of shit. I mean, I have 3 million followers across a couple of my parody accounts. So like what I'll do is like, I'll find ways to the average account probably gets like half a percent to 1% uh, engagement at this point. And what I'll do is I'll find ways to really boost that up. So it's like one of my accounts has 105k followers, but it gets anywhere from like five through like 20k likes, and everyone's kind of like, "How the fuck are you doing that?" Um, so I'm sure you follow a bunch of meme accounts, right?
1: Actually, I'm also anti-meme accounts. I don't know. No, like, I don't know why, but I I I don't know why. I just I'm always like I feel like I'll just be staring at them all day. They'll just distract me, so I'm like I can't follow them. My friends send me all of them anyway. Anyone that's funny, I get it sent one way or another in a group chat. So. <laughs> so
0: here, let me ask you this. How often do you get sent a meme that's on a private account? And you're like, I can't- All the time. It's,
1: it's, it drives me nuts. I'm like, all right, dude, everything's private. Like, just take a screenshot of it. I,
0: <laughs> so yeah. what I ended up doing um, a little while ago was I figured out that, so if you ever follow an account and you go back to a newsfeed, the first thing you're going to see on your newsfeed is typically that account or like within your first three posts. Um, so what ended up happening to break Instagram's algorithm is I convinced everybody they should be on private. Um, because when you're on private, you can get follow requests. So what we'll do is we'll let the follow requests build up to like five, 10, 20,000 people. Um, and then what I'll do is I'll make a post and then I'll go accept those 20,000 people all in one go. And those 20,000 people are instantly seeing my post when they open their Instagram app, right? So when they open the Instagram app and they comment, they like, or whatever it is, Instagram sees a huge amount of engagement right away. And they're like, this post is pretty fire. So they toss you to the top of the algorithm, the top of the feed and you carry out even further.
1: Damn, that makes sense. Because yeah, when you follow somebody, the first thing it does is like it shows you their last, their most recent post. So I guess that's what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. you're, you're pretty much making it so a ridiculous amount of people are all going to see it. Yep. Like you're. Damn. <laughs> mm, that's yeah. smart. So like, how do you even figure that out? Like, you're just literally sitting there, and you just kind of come to that conclusion. Like it's oh, yeah. it's always crazy to think about because, like, that's not like you don't know some crazy <laughs> math, or you know, like it's nope. not like you have some crazy knowledge that's un attainable you're just more mm-hmm. observant than somebody like myself or other people i feel like that's a lot of times what's happening is people well, just I mean, pay more attention to that it, kind of it, stuff yeah
0: i mean on top of it, it's like i'm doing this 24 7 like every that's day true. like yeah. like i'm perpetually looking at this shit studying this shit and like i just see something happen like usually typically by accident honestly like i'm just testing different things and i see something happen and i'm like that's interesting let's try to replicate that and like it's almost like a science experiment science experiment where you just keep replicating it until you're like okay cool that, that this shit works let's let's keep doing this and then once you find once you figure out a bunch of different things you can do so it's like i have a whole like pdf that i present at like universities about how to beat the instagram algorithm because like nba programs aren't teaching you this shit they're teaching you like this is surface level marketing on the digital world because it's evolving so fast it's so hard to build a course on um so what i'm trying to do is trying to like educate people on like this is what you can do for the next so, probably like two years before there's another algorithm change or this happens and this happens um But typically the things I figure out will last a very long time because they're major things, not minor things. Um, So another thing that's really cool is, uh, you know how Instagram added, uh, you you can post up like 10 things in a post, into into a single post, like a
1: carousel. Yeah, you can like swipe through stuff, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. So what you can do with that is, um, a lot of people love uploading like single photos, and the issue with that is you come up on the feed one time. I don't know if you ever noticed, but when you're scrolling through your Instagram, sometimes it'll show you the second post or the third post. Yeah, damn,
1: yeah, like that's so yeah. mm, that makes me mad so that i don't re- i like see like that hearing <laughs> that like i already know what you're gonna say now and that makes me mm-hmm. mad that i don't like recognize that because that's true like mm-hmm. you see the first post and say i scroll past it but i didn't swipe through the second the third the fourth so yeah. that if i go through it again it'll show me the second mm-hmm. yeah dude like why don't, don't i realize yeah, that so instagram
0: Damn. is just like it, they're like waiting for you to it's kind of like giving you a second life a third life on the post to get that engagement because you completely ignore it the first or second time Another really big thing is, like, um, you know you can take landscape photos and portrait photos? Right. Yeah. Um, or you can take, like, square photos, right? So mm-hmm. when you do um, – if you're ever posting on Instagram, you should always post with, with 1080 pixels in width and 1350 pixels in height because that's the biggest photo that let you use um, portrait-wise. Typically when – like and this is, like, a psychological thing, too. When you post in landscape um, – and our phones are getting so big, right? When you post in landscape, you can still see the post above and the post below. If the post below is more colorful it's a really cool video or a really cool ad or something like that. People are going to be like, oh, cool, landscape photo, okay, peace. They go to the next post and you're not getting any engagement and your shit just flops and it's just doing bad. Um, so what I always recommend is doing 1080 pixels in width, 1350 pixels in height because that's the largest photo they'll let you use. And typically when you're on uh, when you're on the average size phone and you see that, you can't see the post above or below. So psychologically, you have the highest chance of them taking in the full photo and interacting with the photo.
1: Dude, this conversation is kind of pissing me off that I don't think of these things. Like, I feel just <laughs> stupid now because, damn, that's awesome yeah mm-hmm. that'll so you didn't study like psychology or anything like that in college or anything like that uh i took one course
0: on psychology I, <laughs> I
1: took 101 and that's my it. Bachelor of science yeah <laughs> i mean like my
0: sister's doing classes so i'll talk to her in there but <clears throat> for the most part it's like i've never studied marketing i've never studied psychology um i know the human body inside out but outside of that not really this is all kind of like self-taught i've been writing this all out over a period of like the last 12 years and just kind of like I call it new world marketing because nobody's doing it. No one's teaching it like this.
1: Right. And that, kind of what you were <laughs> saying, how you want to build a course and something that benefits you wanting to make courses based on what you just said about how it's constantly evolving is that that pretty much gives you the ability to keep, you know, people always have things to learn. So from your perspective, exactly that, that's like, good for you. You always have well, something to teach people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what it's eventually going to turn into is it's going to turn into kind of like a library where it's like, I'll probably drop a new video whenever I see something change or I find something cool and new. Um, And it's just kind of like, you'll get a little email alert going like, oh hey, there's a new video in the library, you can go learn about it. And then like the rest of the library will still be there. So it's like, I'll have a section dedicated to Photoshop, like user journey, uh, website design, but then also have a section dedicated to um, how to monetize certain different things and kind of like new things, finding the algorithm.
1: So how do you handle when these companies start changing their algorithms and messing with things Mm -hmm. and making it more difficult? Because like we were saying before, at the end of the day, they they want to be the one reaping in the profits, reaping in the money. Like like Instagram, yep. we were kind of alluded to how you know engagement's dropping a lot recently, and that's kind of mm-hmm. a Facebook thing. Where Facebook they don't want to see these influencers making all this money. They're yep. like, all right, we need to be making yep. money off this. So you know, you want you want to get the engagement, you got to pay for it in a way. So mm-hmm. how how do you start so handling when those things start changing, and now you got to adjust on these different platforms?
0: I mean, the really cool thing is that I'm part of like a little group of elite marketers and we're like spread out across the planet we're always like discussing things hopping on video calls and just giving each other free consulting because it's like when I learn something I'll go to my closer homies and I'll be like yo you guys should apply these methods because it'll help you a lot and it's like when they learn something they'll tell me the same thing so it's not it's not entirely just me going like oh fuck I'm screwed I've got to figure this out on my own it's like my homies will randomly reach out to me and be like yo we learned this cool little shit you should try to apply it and I'm like okay interesting that's really dope so it makes our lives a little bit easier because we're almost like a little collective that works together. Um, And the collective is like continually growing over a period of time. But there's a few of us that like, I consider to be in the top like 10, 15 that are um, actively trying to break these algorithms and working together.
1: Right. It also, it does seem like in general, like based on how you were building uh, your Twitter network and then you're talking about you have a network now, Uh, and then like that's kind of similar to john's story as well who who i just spoke to is yeah it's like the networking aspect and having other people kind of doing the same things and you're all you're all pretty much at the end of the day trying to attain the same goal um Mm -hmm. but it's interesting because a lot of i think a lot of people have some type of competitiveness that kicks in where they almost want to hide that (gasps) information for themselves you know like to be like oh i figured this out i want other people to know it you know, cause I got to oh, yeah, keep it for myself, but it seems like you're more one, you, I mean, you want to do the course, which is a very giving thing in and of itself, even though you'll probably make money from it if you wanted to, or if you didn't. But at the end of the day, it's a very giving thing to educate people. But on top of it, you have a network of people where you guys are all sharing that information. So is that just like a natural, is it just, you just see the benefit out like outweighs, you know, it's more beneficial to do that because you receive information as opposed to trying to keep it and learn it all yourself. Or is it just, a personality thing where you're just like, oh, I just you know want to be helpful to my peers, I guess.
0: Well, I mean, it's a, it's a little combination of things. Um, I only help people that are willing to also help back because, I mean, people are selfish and that's just like the nature of uh, right. the world at this point. So if people are like, I've just always been a very like I'm huge on karma. I believe like everything will come back to you. And like I, I perpetually reach out to people all the time. And I'm like, yo, I really fuck with your shit. I'd love to help you out um, if I can. By the way, I own this kind of stuff. If you ever need any help, by all means, feel free to reach out to me. And some people at first, some people are like, yo, this guy's super nice. And then some people are like, what the fuck do you want? Like, why are you doing yeah. this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's I'm funny. just like, but the I'm people that are like faking- that are
1: always people that aren't very giving people. You know what I mean? Because I feel like I'm someone, like, I always try to, whenever I like know somebody who's trying to do something, I always try to support them. And then some people like probably view it as fake almost that I'm like, I almost overly support people, but then to someone like myself or someone like you, who's very like giving and with sharing information, it's natural to you, but to other people who aren't like that, they're kind of like, Whoa, what's this guy doing? Cause they are viewing it from their lens of, I don't want to share information. I want to keep this for myself and all that stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like anybody who's just like not down to be helpful at the end of the day. It's kind of like, I eventually stop talking to them and I'm just kind of like, if you're helping me all the time, I feel like I'm like, oh, damn, like, what can I do to support you? And what can I do to help you back? Right.
1: Right. Yeah. You almost feel selfish. Like you're you're you feel guilty in a way. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I actually read you said in uh, an article I read uh, that you were featured in, you, you were talking you're talking about loyalty. You had a quote about it being a two way street. Um, so was something I was going to ask, like how much that plays a factor in like who you do business with. But it sounds like if they're not if they don't show a sense of loyalty, you're, you're giving them the boot
0: hmm well i mean i'm not giving them the boot i just kind of like I, yeah if they're, if they're
1: paying like, you maybe not
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean at the end of the day it's like i have so many people that reach out to me on a daily basis that are just kind of like can you mentor me can you teach me i'd love to work with you in some type of way that it's kind of like i only have so many hours in a day um but you know it's like i try to i try to make as much time as i can for everybody even like the little guys who are all, like i get so many messages going like hey can i just like get a half an hour of your time and like for bigger companies, I do charge anywhere from like $150 to like $300 per hour just to like teaching this stuff. Um, like the other day I did a conference and it was uh, it was a charity event for uh, the homeless youth in Toronto. And what we had was uh, a panel of about like 15 speakers and all of us were giving away a different prize after we gave our talks and we're teaching and whatnot. So, um, and we start. it was like, it was like a big system too. So I was giving away two hours of consulting with me and I was like, this is valued at approximately like $250, $300. Um, We started to bid at 50 bucks and it ended up going up to 400 bucks with uh, this guy who owns a couple of restaurants. Um, And what ended up happening was the $400 gets uh, donated to a charity called the Covenant House in Toronto, um, which is dedicated to homeless youth that like are struggling. So I'm like, like, I love giving back in any type of way I can, which is why a lot of the clients I work with own charities or they're part of charities. Um, and They donate back to really good causes. So I mean, I just love helping in any type of way I can. Because again, karma, I believe it's like you just help as much as you can and eventually come back to you. Like, I've been in some like tough situations in my life, and out of nowhere, it's just been kind of like a homie that like I helped out maybe five years ago, just comes out of nowhere, and it's like, yo, I have this thing for you, and I think it's going to help you. And I'm just like, this is exactly what I need right now. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, So, for your client, are your clients usually, are they more like, are you mostly working with like enterprise clients, like corporations? Are you working with, You know, clothing brands. You're working with just influencers. Is it a mix of everything? Like, what's what's the type of clientele you're you have right (coughs) now?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely kind of a big mix of everything because um, everybody at this point understands that I love puzzles and I love figuring shit out. Um, So people aren't afraid to like come to me with things that they know is kind of out of my scope. They'll, They'll come to me and they'll be like, "Hey, have you ever kind of done this?" Like, I don't think you have, and I'm like, "No, I haven't, but I'd love to try to figure that out for you." So. Our clients range, uh, really vi- uh, widely. So I'm not the type of guy that wanted to run some massive agency where I have like a hundred people working for me. Like right now I have two guys who work with me, um, nine to five. And sometimes stay as late as like midnight, uh, Monday to Friday. And I have one guy who is traveling the world working full time with me as well, kind of doing the nomad thing. And I kind of give him like, I understood that that's what he wanted to do. And I'm like, let's see how we can make that work for you. And he's really great at what he does too.
1: So yeah, a lot of uh, people could benefit from that is, you know, as, when you have employees, or people working for you, people kind of what you were saying, like you're focusing on how are you going to help me? And I'll just give you money, but people don't focus on all right, What do you exactly. actually want to get out of this role? Like, what are you trying to do? And if, exactly. if you make the effort to give them what they want, so this person wants to be a nomad, like, all right, I'll let you do that. It makes them more willing yeah. to work harder for you because you're allowing them to do the things they want to do with their life.
0: Exactly. And it's like the really shitty thing about most agencies is they hire a hundred people and they give everybody this little booklet. That's like very cookie cutter. And they're like, If it's an e-commerce company, just do this, this, and this. And I'm like, I'm kind of against that. Um, So my team, (coughs) my team of four people right now, I've taught them everything I know from Photoshop to video editing to user journey, advertising and all that kind of good stuff, Um, with the exception of my nomad guy who's kind of very experienced in it to begin with. Um, So we do very, like, we're very specific with all of our clients. Our clients that come to us, they'll come to us and they'll say, this is my product. And I'll be like, give me 24 hours to fully build you out a custom plan because I don't think anything should be cookie cutter. which is why a lot of my clients have gone to agencies and they'll come to me later and they'll be like, hey, we spent like 20 grand with them and we only did like 3K in sales. And I'm like, it's because the methods they're using are trash and they don't know what they're
1: doing. Right. And if you make things cookie-cutter, I feel like you're not – if it's that cookie-cutter, it's not something very innovative. If it's that cookie-cutter, other people could probably replicate that pretty easily. And if that's the case, exactly. you're probably not – exceeding expectations or you know blowing yeah. out profits or engagement or anything like that
0: mm-hmm. yeah it just becomes very overly saturated and then it's going to stop working which is why um i went ahead and d- did all this kind of other stuff so it's like most agencies will only they'll ask you for the creative so it'll be like give me your photos and videos and they'll ask you for the copywriting and everything on top of it and i'm kind of like sitting here like you're going to let somebody who doesn't know anything about marketing do the copywriting for you and give you the creative like it makes no sense like
1: right what are you doing at that point and- yeah
0: Exactly. It's like they just plug it in and they just hope it works. Like, I'm sitting down and I'm like going off of like data I've collected for the last like a decade or almost like 12, 13 years. And I'm like, we're going to create this type of copy for you. We're going to create this type of creative for you. And I'll go into Photoshop and edit their photos and stuff myself to create them custom things that
1: I know will work. Right. So, so when you were saying before, you were like, uh, you like creating a, pu- like, you like trying to solve a puzzle and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. when you're trying to solve a puzzle, what's that process like? So, you know, because all these. You're working with multiple platforms with multiple algorithms and multiple tricks to them. Like you mentioned all the Instagram things, but you know, Twitter or Snapchat or, you know, pick insert website or app here, they're going to have something yeah. totally different that you're working with and there's new ones popping up all the time. So what's your process of trying to solve that puzzle? Like, do you have any kind of typical approach you do? Or are you just doing random shit and then all of a sudden you kind of have an aha moment? Like, how does that work?
0: Um, I mean, it totally depends on exactly the industry I'm working on. So like when I'm working in e-commerce, for example, I sit down with a client, I'll be like, okay, make me a list of your top five, uh, favorite companies that are in your, kind of in your, in your division and kind of that you would like to, that you idolize almost. Um, because everybody growing up, it's like, you kind of have your own little idol and you're kind of like, I want to be like that person. And you're kind of like trying to replicate yourself in that model. Right. So a little known fact that a lot of people don't know about is if you go to the Facebook page of any of your favorite, uh, companies and if they're running ads, There's a little section that says page transparency. You can click that with another button that says go to ad library. Inside that ad library, you can see every ad that they're running um, and that's working for them. So for an e-commerce brand, hypothetically, let's say you're running a jewelry brand. I'm going to go and pull up Pandora on Facebook and see their ad transparency. Facebook owns Instagram, so you can see all the ads are running on Facebook, Instagram, Messenger, and WhatsApp. Um, And I'll kind of take a look at those ads, and then I'll come back a week later, and a week after that, a week after that, over the course of a month, and study those ads obviously the ads that they are still running over the course of a month are working the ads that are that stopped working, they're going to cut and take out of there. So I'm kind of taking like notes as I go on the ads that are working for them. So it's like, if that's working for them, cool, let's see what we can do to kind of um, take your content and make it similar in a way, if not even better. And like more specific for you, which is where a lot of agencies fall short. A lot of agencies don't do this kind of stuff. Like I was on uh, the panel I was speaking on, we had three social media people, um, and I said that, and even the two guys on the side of me turned to me, and they're like, you can do that. And I'm like, how do you guys run, how do you are you guys running agencies and you don't know about this kind of stuff? And it's because they're being very cookie cutter where people are, um, they're asking people for the content themselves, asking for the copywriting themselves. They're not, they're not really innovating the space at all. And another really shitty thing that agencies do is they ask you for a retainer and a percentage of your ad spend. So it's in their best interest that you spend the most amount of money, which can be very scary for a client, right? Like me increasing my ad spend from 10K to 100K means I'm paying you an extra, instead of 1K a month, I'm paying you an extra 10K a month to manage my ads. And that's it's kind of scary. And it's a lot of money. So the model that we run off of is that we charge them a retainer, and then we get a percentage of how much money we make them. So it's entirely up to you how much money you want to spend with us on your ads. And it's in our best interest to make you the most amount of money. So some of our clients we have on a, on a contract where they pay us 5 to 10% of how much money we make them. So if we, it's in our best interest to make you a million dollars a month, because if we can do that, then we're making 100K right?
1: Right, exactly. It's also interesting, like, the more I, like, hear you mention these things, pretty much what I'm picking up on is that it just seems like you're a very observant dude, and you're just kind of, like, you're really paying attention to what's going on, and then that kind of just made me realize, I mean, that just, I think is, it's better to just be, it's almost like now, like, we're having a conversation being present, like, when I do interviews (coughs) for the podcast, a lot of times Mm -hmm. I find myself, like, if I script out what I want to say too much, I get too focused on trying to think of... What's my next question gonna be? And then what ends up happening is you don't pay attention to what the person's saying, and you might miss something that ends up being like, damn, like this is a, you know, like you can find somewhere to take the conversation that's really good, but instead your head's not in the conversation, your head's in what am I gonna say next? It's almost a parallel to what, you know, you're saying people are doing is people like, these are my cookie cutter methods, and they're so focused on these are the methods that we do that they're not focused on being observant to the changes being made, the algorithms going on, the platforms is working on. Like it's more, and that seems like your approach. And it seems like it's working. So
0: Yeah, see, that's the other issue with really big agencies. Because it's like, I could hire 50 people out, but I can't trust 50 people to do this kind of stuff. Because it's like my team right now that I have, I oversee everything they do. Everything, like, before they run it, they show it to me. They're like, what do you think of this? And I'm like, cool, we can adjust it in this type of way. Because obviously, I have the most experience because I've been doing it since I was like 13. Um, But what happens in a really big agency of like 100 people is these guys working in little cubicles. Like, they can't really venture and do unique things. Because if they do and they fuck up and they lose a client, they're going to lose their job. Right?
1: Right, yeah, so they want they want to play it safe. Yeah,
0: exactly. exactly. Yeah. So nobody nobody can venture, whereas with my guys, it's like I'll sit with them 24 hours a day and then we can figure out what works. It's like some clients we'll sit with for like a month or two, even upwards of three months, and I'm like, we're I'll, I'll even tell them in the beginning, I'm like, we're in the data collection phase where we're trying to collect you as much data, as much users as possible, but I'm also trying to test out a shit ton of ads and figure out what's going to work for you guys. So some clients we we'll get really lucky with, and it's like right off the get-go, and it's like I can get them like a five-time return on their money. But some clients, it's like it's going to take one or two months where they're going to lose Maybe one or $2,000, but I'm like, I always keep it very low ad spend until I can crack kind of like the code on things. And I'll even push some extra traffic for you from my Instagram pages, which will help balance things out. So, how so I'm do like,
1: you go ahead? Sorry.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I'm just like, I'm just trying my best to absolutely keep them at break even at the minimum before we can get them to making like hundreds of thousands of dollars per month.
1: So how do you get a company to be comfortable with taking that risk? So we're saying, you know, these marketing agencies, they want to play it safe because, you know, you take a chance and it doesn't go well, you know, it's going to cost the employee, it's going to cost the team, whatever, so they're they're very risk averse. But me right. as a company, I'm like if I'm spending my money for somebody to help me with my marketing, I'm a little risk averse as well because I'm mm-hmm. handing you money. I don't want my money to feel like it's going to waste if something's not working. So how do you get a company to trust you? It's probably a little easier now, I would assume, just because you have a good reputation of success with your clients. But, like, early on, how do you build that rapport with your clients?
0: Well, even on top of all that, right now, it's like when, let's say you came to me with a brand, I'm like super picky about who I take. We don't just like take anybody on, we take on the people that we know we're confident that we can help. Because I always tell people right off the bat, I'm like, I don't want you to waste your money or your time. I don't want to waste my own time on anything either. I'm like, I can easily charge you five grand a month, try to do it for a month. And even though I know it's not going to work. Um, and take your money and kind of screw you but it's like i've in my 12 years i've never had somebody who is unhappy with us like every single person who's ever worked with us has gone on i've never even done any marketing for my own company it's just been 100 percent referrals and people like the bigger we get our clients to so it's like we'll scale some clients that we're doing maybe a couple thousand dollars a month to like several hundred thousand per month and those guys make friends with other people who run e-commerce companies that are massive or like other artists and whatnot and then they refer them back to me and like people literally introduce me on email as this is my ultimate machine don't share them with anybody i want to share them with you and i'm kind of like sitting there like kind of like really flattered and again i'm like 25 so most people like hop on a call with me and like another thing i do is like i'm really personal with my clients most people are kind of like let's hop on a phone call discuss it and hop off call i'm like no we're gonna hop on a video call i'm gonna introduce you i'm gonna tell you my story you're gonna tell me your story i'm gonna see how we can make this work for you because like again i don't want anybody to waste their money and we're super picky about who we take on and to, to start with things most of our contracts start off where it's just a retainer it's pretty small retainer too so it's like i sit down with them i'm like listen what are your profit margins how much are you guys actually making per month what can we do that's not going to break your back because i don't want you guys to put your company at risk just to try to figure out marketing um so it's like my small <coughs> my absolute smallest clients they're on like 1k retainers um and it's like usually i don't do that kind of thing but i understand they're like running really small businesses And i'm like i want to help you take your business to the next level because i believe in your business um and as time goes on we'll renegotiate and we'll scale that to like our top client pays us about like $24,000 a month right now um, Sheesh. To ma- yeah, to manage their stuff. So <laughs> it's like we have like a really big variation of things. Um, and then like, again, as companies grow, they'll eventually get to a point where they're kind of like, we need to hire somebody full time to manage our stuff. And I'll build their own marketing teams. They'll fly me in. I'll teach those teams. Like I'll teach their new people kind of what I'm doing. And I'll charge them like twenty thirty k to do it because that's like I could be making that money myself. Um, I'll sit down for like a day or two, teach them what, what their kind of team needs. And then they'll just hire me for consulting past that. Um, and I'll come back and we'll keep doing it for more clients. Um, but our end goal right now is kind of like, I don't want to hire too many people. Like I want to keep my team at anywhere from like five through 10. We're going to build out a bunch of our own stores, a bunch of our own apps and whatnot, um, with the profits that come from the business. And then the whole goal is to sell it all in like five to 10 years. It's either we're going to sell it all, or I'm going to kind of step away from the company and have them manage it all. Um, while I become a professor, hopefully at a, at a university or something. Um, but they all understand that it's like, they all get a piece of it. Like, it's not just five to 10 years, you're all going to have no job and you're all fucked. Like, it's like my guys understand that when I sell everything, everybody gets a piece. And like, they're all going to be comfortable to retire if they choose to.
1: Damn, I need to be comfortable to retire. I choose to, ret- <laughs> I choose to retire, but I'm not comfortable. So that doesn't work. Um, so of all the, like, <coughs> like the different places you would market a brand, let's say, what, what do you find is the most beneficial for a brand, or you know, for any type of marketing campaign, like where do you find yourself at the moment going to to get the most engagement?
0: Yeah, so I mean, like it totally depends because um, I always sit down with clients and ask them their goals, so we can build back from their goals. Like, let's say you're making a shit ton of money, but you want followers. It's like we build a campaign dedicated to followers because followers don't always translate to sales or streams or whatever it is. Um, but followers can tra- translate to trust because it's like when you go to a company you've never heard of them before. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to check their Instagram. And if they have 400 followers, you're going to be like, nah, I don't trust this shit. But if they had 100,000 followers, you're going to be like, okay, cool. They clearly have a little community that actually like trust them, right? So like hypothetically, let's take one of my clients, for example. Um, they gave us uh, 60 days and they paid us 10K, uh, 10K to essentially build them a brand completely from scratch. We're doing all the logo work, all the designs. We're building them a website and we're building the entire thing out for them. Um, all they got to do is do manufacturing themselves in January when we actually start running the brand in January. What I'm going to do is, um, you're not making too many sales in January because Christmas and the holiday season just ended. So what I typically I end up doing for the first like 30 days, 60 days is building them a really big following on uh, Instagram. Um, we build out that following to anywhere from 50 to hundred K and it's all, all super engaged and active because I'm applying all of my Instagram hacks to it too. So they're getting like anywhere from like five through 20% engagement, um, which shows,
1: So, how are you able to do that then? Like, how are you able to, because yeah, like building a following, like you can get the followers, but how do you, how do you build an engaged audience? Because that's not even like, it's intentional, (coughs) but it's almost, it feels like it's a little less out of your control. Like, I can get the follows and it's like, all right, I don't need them anymore. I got that follow, but you need them to continue to stay engaged. So, how, how are you able to do that?
0: So, there's a lot of people who try to game the system and they do these like fake AirPod giveaways and shit. Like, I just don't, I don't fuck with any of that. We do, we do like hyper targeted stuff. So, it's like, I have a team of people that I can usually bring together, whether it's on Twitter, on Instagram, or wherever it is, that are kind of similar to me, where it's like they have a massive following. Um, and we'll essentially we'll run a test. So let's say it's Instagram, for example. I'll bring maybe like three or four people together. We'll run a test to see how fast we can gain that account. If, we're, if it was really easy to gain that account, we might charge 150 to 200 dollars USD for uh, a targeted following um, growth on the account. So it's like based on the company's budget. So let's take one of my other clients, for example, back in. In mid-October, they are like, hey, we want to get to 100K. To um, they, they wanted to follow my methods, essentially. Like, we want to get 100,000 followers. We were able to get them 100,000 followers for, I think, it was about like $15,000. Um, did those 100,000 followers really engage and turn into shoppers? Probably not really. They probably only converted a couple thousand dollars off of that. But now, because leading into launch, they had that following. When we launched their brand in November, um, from mid-November through mid-December, so right now they were able to do 50,000 US in sales um, because then we went to Facebook and we applied the methods. to. So I'll typically go to like Facebook um, and like the actual ad platforms that um, belong to the belong to the platforms. We'll use those to make all the sales. And you can do that without having a following on these social media pages, but it helps when you have the combination of both. So because I grew up in the influencer world, I made all these friends and I brought all these people together and I perpetually did them favors from when I was 13 through now. Like Even now it's like when they reach out to me, it's like, I'll sit down and be like, yo, like, what up? How can I help you? Like, oh, you need a guy to me to connect you, you need me to connect you to a guy? Let me connect you to that guy. So I'm perpetually helping these guys. So whenever I need something, I need to build these accounts out or I need to buy these posts. Like, a lot of these guys are charging $1,000 a post, $500 a post, or something like that, because they know it's me, and I'm their homie who's been helping them for a decade. They're like, yo, what the fuck? We'll do it for free, or even they'll give me, like, the, the absolute cheapest price. And I've been bringing them work for forever, too, so they just see me as the homie. Damn.
1: All right, <laughs> so then... I'm going to switch switch gears just a little bit because I want to ask about like the music stuff because I've had a lot of, I have a lot of friends who are, you know, artists themselves and that's just something I'm interested in too. I just think like all that, that whole world is pretty interesting and pretty engaged yeah. in like, music and stuff. So like when it comes to any kind of music clients and you're trying to boost their streams, like you mentioned the Spotify yeah. and the billboard stuff, like how mu- how does that differ in comparison to like a social media platform? I feel like that's a little bit, you know, you got to take a different approach with those.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> if you're looking at Spotify or SoundCloud in specific, um, the really cool thing about Spotify and SoundCloud is that um, it's really good to look into different social platforms because of the APIs they have in place. Um, a lot of people don't know it, but if you post your Spotify link on Twitter, it'll create an automatic play card that shows you a preview of the song or whatever it is. Um, and when you do that stuff on other platforms, it, it'll just show a link that people can click. And most people don't like leaving a platform to go somewhere else, which is why Instagram is integrating shopping within the platform and everything like that. Right. So when we are working on like artists and stuff, we'll I'll primarily use Twitter because um, I can make the post on there. You can set up the play card. Um, people will get a little preview of it. And if they like the song, so promote the song. And if people like the song, they'll leave Spot, they'll leave Twitter and go to the actual Spotify, uh, to Spotify link because it, ha- it all has a little button on there. Um, so when we're working with artists, I'll tend to use those platforms. And the really cool thing about Spotify too is there's a lot of playlists within Spotify that have hundreds of thousands of followers that are owned by certain people. Those people will charge you anywhere from a hundred to like $5,000 to put your song on that playlist. Cause people are always listening to that playlist. That's going to run up the views on the, on the song. So what I like to do is I like to push it out from other places because Spotify's algorithm at the end of the day will pick it up and be like, okay, cool. The song's going viral outside of Spotify. Like their algorithm is smart enough to understand that people are buying the spots on these playlists to not push it out because Spotify creates, um, custom playlist for people. Um, and the only way to get on this custom playlist is if you can fight the algorithm to prove you're going viral on organic search. Um, so people are actually coming and searching your name within the Spotify app and like playing your song, or if you're getting a lot of plays from outside of Spotify, which is like social media. Um, so if you're doing those two methods and you time it right, you can actually make the song go really viral. So it's like what I'll do is I'll push like anywhere from like two to four 5,000 plays for somebody in the first two weeks. And then in the next week when those uh, when those uh, playlists get updated and they get sent out to all the users, we typically end up on those playlists and that'll generate an extra like 50 to like 100,000 plays within the first month. Um, and then it continues to progress past that. And now that everyone likes your music and has you there, one of our artists, like Sabatino, we promoted a song last year. Um, and this year he still got like another 150,000 plays from those dedicated listeners. He literally only has one song on his Spotify. If you look him up. But that one <laughs> song has like, it's like, I think it's it's still getting like seven thousand plays per month. He's got more monthly listeners than like your average small You're, artist. Yeah, and
1: people pushing out music out. like constantly. Yeah,
0: exactly because like they fuck with that song really heavy, and it's still just it's still just carried out. Like he sent me a screenshot of his like uh, his like Spotify rap for the year, and he's like, "Yeah, dude, I got like another hundred fifty thousand plays. This is crazy." And I'm like. Dude, this is awesome. Can you drop more music so we can make you pop off
1: more? <laughs> yeah, so how about, you, how about you make another song, dude? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Um, All right. We, we should wrap up soon, but I want to ask like, what in general do you see as the biggest mistake other people make? Um, I don't want to say marketers, like other agencies per se, more so just like the average, you know, entrepreneur or influencer or, you know, anything like that. Like what common mistakes are you seeing people do? I um, you think so, should be corrected.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would toss out like two hardcore tips is don't be afraid to make mistakes because I've easily lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in the last like 12 to 13 years making mistakes. But making those mistakes like helped me get to where I am now. So it's like we we're able to launch a store um, for one of our clients that did $50,000 within the first month. But if I didn't make the mistake of like I ra- I've run my own stores in the past and I've had them completely fucking fail. But because I made those things and they completely failed, I learned so much out of them that I can apply to the store now that, is, that was able to do 50K within the first 30 days. Um, the other thing is just like sit down and figure out your finances because a lot of people are, <coughs> even a lot of people now who reach out to me from high school, they're like, homie, I got 40 grand. I'm going to quit my job. Like, let's do something crazy. And I'm like, no, no, no. Don't quit your job yet. Let's spend that 40 grand, but let's keep your job so you have money coming in. Um, and just focus on having like a few different streams of revenue because it's like, I run the marketing company and we have a few brands that we run as well. I could completely drop the marketing company and just run the brands. But why don't I just run and have multiple streams of revenue? Um, because hypothetically, if something goes bad in one area, they can fund each other and help each other grow. So something I always tell my clients when I first get on a call with them, when they're kind of figuring out like how much should we spend with the budget and stuff, I'm like, what can you spend that doesn't break your back? Because we're still in the data phase learning what's going to work. Once you have something that works, just go balls to the wall, do whatever you want because you know it's going to make you money. Right. When you're first getting into something – Take the risk, but also think about it. Like, how much money can you how much money can you spend this month and you're willing to lose? That's just extra excess money that won't fuck up your life. Because it's like, if you're making 5K a month, you got like 3K in bills, that 2K extra, by all means, go spend it. Make your mistakes. Um, don't spend the full 5K going like, yo, if this works, I can make like 100K, but it's like, if it doesn't work, you might not be able to pay rent. Yeah, you're like, oh, I can't fucking eat tonight, right? So it's like, pace yourself um, on the money you make and always always reinvest every dollar you make for the first year off of your, off of what you're doing. Like I have homies that went and bought Corvettes instead of buying hypothetically more accounts or like learning new skills and spending the money to use to learn those new skills. And now they're kind of like sitting in their Corvette. They might have got banned all, all the accounts. They're kind of like, sick, I can't even pay insurance to drive my Corvette now, right? Yeah. So yeah, so be willing to make the mistakes. Be willing to learn your finances. Like sit down with one. Like everybody's got a homie they went to school with that definitely went and studied accounting be willing to sit down with that guy for an hour and pay him for his hour to be like, how do you think I should set up my finances between investments, savings, and how much I can kind of get. Cause at the end of the day, being an entrepreneur is a gamble. You're throwing money and you're going to pray that it's going to come back to you or not make you more. Um, so figure out how much money you can gamble without throwing your whole life away.
1: All right. Um, <laughs> so I think that's a good way to end it. So, uh, Abtin, Abtin say your last name again, cause I'm going to screw it up. So I'm just gonna let you do it.
0: So, my name is Apton Master Daga. I run Northern Mo, which is an advertising agency out of Toronto. Right,
1: and where can people... So, um, do you have anything you want to like give people Like if they want to reach out to you or anything like that? Anything you want to plug before you sign yeah, off? Yeah,
0: sure. My, my personal website is abtxn.com. The Northern website is currently uh, being rebuilt right now, but you can go to dot com. There's no E in the word Northern because we don't want to get sued by other companies named Northern. Um, <laughs> Smart. the absolute last thing is, uh, my fastest way to reach me is probably on Instagram. So my Instagram is just A-B-T-X-N.
1: Nice. All right. I'll put all that in the description and, uh, anything else you want to include, I'll make sure that's in there. But, um, I have to say, this is probably one of my favorite conversations because I think selfishly, I think I got the most out of this, you know, it's a lot of things for me to learn. So I appreciate you sharing that knowledge and your story. I thought that was all super interesting.
0: For sure. For sure. Right. sure. Of course.
1: Yep. So uh, thanks, Aptin. Um, thanks everyone for listening. And uh, all right, I'll see you.